0: Hey everybody, thanks for once again tuning in to the Faith Over Fear podcast. Uh, This will be episode 4, it's on the power of positivity. In November of 2008, 48-year-old Joseph Goitz attempted to rob a bank in York, Pennsylvania shortly after it opened. After learning that the bank had little to no cash on hand and the tellers showing him their empty drawers, Goitz was not happy and he let them know it. As he fled the scene, he vowed to file a complaint with the bank managers due to his dissatisfaction. We love to grumble and complain, don't we? Some research shows that in a typical conversation, we complain at least once within every single minute. The verse that we're going to look at today is simple and straightforward in its message, but might not be so simple to overcome. The verse comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Does that verse make you stop and think for a second? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think it's safe to say that each and every one of us are guilty of this, maybe even this morning. Whether the hot water was taking too long to get to your shower, or you couldn't find your keys, maybe it was the slow car that pulled out in front of you. The point is, we have the opportunity to grumble about something almost constantly. Today, we're going to look at several biblical examples of this. We'll look at why this command is so important for us and how to begin to correct our shortcomings in this matter. We'll get to see the power of positivity. First, we need to understand why it's not good to go around grumbling all day. We probably all know someone who can light up a room when they walk in. They come in with a great smile a great attitude. You can always count on them to be happy, even when things aren't necessarily going their way. On the same hand, we can probably think of someone that's exactly the opposite. They seem to always be in a bad mood. No matter what, they grumble about everything. Maybe you've heard them referred to as Negative Nancy. Which person do you like to be around more? Which one do you want to be known as? Let's take a look at the rest of the verse. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Whoa, isn't that the person you want to be? Shining like stars? Are we in a warped and crooked generation? Yep, I'd say so. What a way to shine out from the rest of the world. Somebody out there might need you to be that light for them that can point them in a godly direction. There are different levels of grumbling. In fact, studies show that there, are more, that there are a couple distinct types of complaining. The first group is what are called chronic complainers. These are people who go around looking for something to complain about. This is the negative Nancy we talked about, maybe Debbie Downer. Chronic complainers dwell on the negatives. They don't even try to look for any positives. This type of complaining is dangerous. Proverbs 15 verse 28 tells us the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Psalm 52 verse 2 tells us you who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. The verse goes on to say you love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Research even shows that this way of thinking can alter your brain to where these thought orientations become ingrained. This constant negativity becomes a habit. The next group is known as venters. These are complaints that show emotional dissatisfaction. When we complain in this form, we are usually looking for sympathy or for someone to agree with us or to validate our issue. The problem still remains, though, that this type of complaining is completely negative. Venters aren't looking to solve any problems, they're not looking for solutions. They just want the people around them to know about their problems. There was an old man who was suspected his wife was becoming deaf. She refused to get her ears checked, so he thought he would play out a little test to prove his theory. So she was at the sink one night washing dishes, and he stood behind her about 20 feet, and he yelled, Honey, what's for dinner? No reply. So he moved closer, this time only about 10 feet behind her. And again, he yelled, honey, what's for dinner? Once again, no reply. So he walked up this time right into her ear and once again yelled, honey, what's for dinner? She turned around and she looked at him and said, I'll tell you for the third time we're having chicken. (laughs) I think sometimes we're like this old man. We don't see ourselves as the problem but we find fault in someone else instead. I wouldn't have grumbled if she wouldn't have said that. I was having a great day until he did this. But when it comes down to it, we have the choice. Do we grumble or do we try to find a positive in that moment and make the best of it and find something to be thankful for? Let's take a look at the biggest group of complainers in the Bible. We'll start at the beginning of the book of Exodus and follow them all the way through their journey out of Egypt. So as we start off, we see that the Israelites were oppressed with forced labor by the Egyptians. 1 verse 11 says that the Egyptians made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt even demanded that when a Hebrew woman was giving birth, the baby was to be killed if it was a boy. This harsh treatment went on, and we're told that the Israelites cried out to God because of their slavery. We're told that God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. At this point, God's plan for them started coming to action. God called to Moses from within a burning bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. From hard labor to land with milk and honey. That sounds like a pretty good deal if you ask me. Of course, the Egyptians wouldn't just let them go. They were getting all this labor out of them. So God put plagues on them. The plagues were a pretty great sign of God's power and his promise to bring them out of Egypt. So by putting these plagues on them, over time, God made the Egyptians want rid of them. Exodus 12 verse 33 tells us that the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. So Pharaoh let the people go and verse 36 says that God was with them every step of the way. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. When the king of Egypt was told that the, that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. Pharaoh and his officers and 600 chariots pursued them as his heart had been hardened. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians. Marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Wouldn't you think these people would be thrilled and grateful? With God's promise to lead them to a great new land, here they are, wishing they were still slaves. Even though it's easy for us to say that they should see the bigger picture and be grateful, oftentimes we're the same. Imagine seeing 600 chariots marching towards you. You're trapped on a beach against the water, there's nowhere to go. It would be a pretty scary sight, but they are forgetting the promise of God. And Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so the Israelites can go through on dry ground. The angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in from front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Israel and Egypt. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. They went through with walls of water on their left and right. During the last watch of the night, the Lord threw the Egyptians into confusion and jammed the wheels of the chariots. The Israelites made it across, and the Lord told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea. Moses stretched out his hand, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. Not one of the Egyptians survived. The day when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and Moses his servant. Can you imagine this? I always try to picture this event in my head. How many times have you been to an aquarium? You can reach your hand out and be just inches away from all of the water. The glass, of course, holds all of the water in, but it's still pretty cool to see this huge wall of water. Well, there was no glass holding it here in the Red Sea. What an amazing sight this must have been. If you've been up to Lake Erie, it looks pretty massive, doesn't it? Lake Erie covers just shy of 10,000 square miles. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how far the Israelites walked through the sea, it could vary depending on where they crossed, but the Red Sea covers just shy of 170,000 square miles, 17 times the size of Lake Erie. I can't even imagine the looks on their faces when the water started separating, a path emerging for them to escape through. Once they are rescued and their enemies are destroyed, you'd think they'd pretty much have nothing to complain about at this point. Have you ever felt just so happy about something, so grateful that you think, I'll never be unhappy again? You're just feeling great. Well, the Israelites are feeling this way now. The Bible says that they danced and sang to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. If you had just witnessed this, what wouldn't the Lord be able to do? But let's read on. Moses led them from the sea, and they went into the desert, and they went three days without finding water. When they came to Mara, they couldn't drink its water, because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? The Lord showed Moses a piece of wood, and when he threw it into the water it became fit to drink. You don't have to answer this. But do you think you would have complained too? They hadn't drank water in three days. Hold that thought for a little later. It tells us that about two and a half months after they came out of Egypt, the whole community grumbles against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around and ate pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Exodus 6 verse 4 Exodus 16 verse 4 says that then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. We're told that everyone had just as much as they needed, not too much and not too little. So the cloud continued to lead the Israelites and on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, they set out once again. This tells us that the journey had been about two years up to this point. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard this, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When he does this, Moses jumps in and intercedes for them by praying to the Lord, and the fire dies down. At this point, the Israelites are appeased once again, but not for long. The rabble with them begin to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Take notice there that they said they ate at no cost. But well, their cost was slavery. They already forgot about what they were escaping from. Can they hear themselves? I mean, a little while ago, they wanted food, and God rained it down for them. We're told that Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. So Moses became troubled and called on the Lord, What am I to do? God said to him, Tell the people, Consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him. God was telling them, You asked for it. You're going to receive plenty of it. As they come closer to entering the promised land of milk and honey, At the Lord's command, Moses sent men men from each tribe to explore it. They reported back with the good news about its fruit and how it did indeed flow with milk and honey. This is great news. After all of this traveling that took multiple years, they are finally so close to being able to inherit it. But some of the men who went on the journey began to spread a bad report on the land. They said, The land we explored devours those who live who are living in it. The people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They don't think they can take the land over. They once again are forgetting God's promise that he would grant it to them. We're told that that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader, and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you... Into a nation greater and stronger than they. I think that after reading this, we should all strive to be like Joshua and Caleb here. Talk about standing up for what was right. All of these people were grumbling about being afraid, not being able to take over the land. Do you know how easy it would have been for them to join in and agree with their complaints? But they didn't fall into it. They're saying, Whoa, hang on a second here. We need to trust God. Do not be afraid of them. Right here is two guys standing up for positivity, and they literally were in danger of being stoned for it. Now once again, Moses jumps in and intercedes for the people. He said, Lord, if you do this, certainly the Egyptians will hear about it. They'll say, the Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. He went on to say, in accordance with your great love, Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt till now. And the Lord said, I have forgiven them as you have asked. But not one who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. They just keep on nagging and nagging at everything. Have any of you ever been in a car with a child on the way to vacation? Are we there yet? I'm hungry. Are we almost there? How much longer until we get there? Nagging and nagging. I think most kids have probably done this a time or two, although I'm sure I never did that when I was little. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home. Except... Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I the Lord have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading the bad report. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down And died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, "Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned." But Moses said, "Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed." Do not go up, because the Lord isn't with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down, all the way to Horma. At this point, finally, you would think that they would get the point. Stop grumbling, but not yet. We're told that about 250 Israelite men who were community leaders rose up and opposed Moses and Aaron, accusing them of killing God's people. These are the leaders of the entire assembly, and when they rise up, grumbling against them, the Lord opens the earth and swallows all of them. The people didn't learn their lesson from their leaders, and now turn, and they themselves accuse Moses and Aaron of killing them. God kills 14,700 people with a plague before Moses intercedes once again, ending the plague. But once again, they forget, and as they travel, the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. At these snakes being sent, it seems like the Israelites Israelites finally have an aha moment. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes from us. At first glance, the anti-venom that we're going to learn for the snake bites might seem a little strange. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. So how was a bronze snake on a pole going to save them? It says that they would be healed when they looked at the bronze serpent. Basically, they could only be healed when they looked at it face to face. They have to see the seriousness of their condition and finally acknowledge it before they could be saved. It's the same reason that in the New Testament, Jesus said that the only way for us to be saved was to look at him on the cross, the same way the Israelites looked at the serpent on the pole. Listen to Jesus' words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. We have an anti-venom for our sin. We have a reason to not complain. The death and resurrection of Jesus saves us from the grave when we are baptized. Had the Israelites just been content and trusted what the Lord said he was going to do, Not grumbling along the way, they could have inherited the promised land, but they grumbled every step of the way. We do the same thing. God has promised us the promised land, which is heaven. 1 John 2 verse 25 says, And this is what he promised us, eternal life. That should be all we need. We should be content and happy with that first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus it doesn't say there that we need to be thankful for all circumstances we're going to have hardships just like the Israelites but we have to remain thankful in all circumstances when you look at the sacrifice Jesus made for us do you still feel like grumbling when you slow down And think about his death, the mocking, the severe beatings, the crown of thorns piercing his head, the nails being pounded through his flesh, the blood pouring out of his body. Don't our complaints start to seem petty? He did all of this for us so we can be free, so that we can have eternal life. If we were to take a recorder and pin it on our shirt in the morning, and then play back the recording at the end of the day, would you be proud of the things you said? Would you be comfortable listening to them in front of God? Growing up, when my sisters or I vented our complaints to my grandma, we knew exactly what we were going to hear. She would always recite Psalm chapter 118, verse 24 to us. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'd say that's a pretty good policy to live by. When you're ready to grumble, stop for just a second. Look at the day the Lord made. Look at the sky and the trees and everything else He made. Rejoice in it. Be glad in it. We have too much to be thankful for to grumble all day. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As you start to eliminate the grumbling, your thoughts will become more positive as well. If we grumble all day to other people, in front of other people, how are we showing our happiness as Christians? Are we showing the love of God? As our verse says, we should shine like stars. I'm sure you've heard the saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you find yourself starting to think a negative thought about someone, stop and think of something you like about them instead. If you feel a complaint, starting to come forth in your head, think about something you're thankful for. Don't let it come off of your tongue. We're told in the book of Job, your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. James also warns us about the danger of the tongue. In chapter 3, verses 2 through 12, he tells us this, We all stumble in many ways, Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And we go on about our weeks. I challenge you, and definitely myself as well, to think before we speak. I challenge you to look for the positive in every situation. I challenge you to do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. The reason we can have this happiness and positivity is because of our hope for eternal life. It's because our sins are washed away when we're baptized. One day we will all face judgment. Are you ready for that day to come? Acts 22 verse 16 says, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on His name.